0: Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to New Hope Church. I'm Christian, and we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. So, ushers, if you could please prepare. You know, offering is this amazing act for us as believers because offering is an act of obedience. Offering is this act of obedience where we can acknowledge the Lord's lordship over our life. It's an act of obedience where we can kind of look back and acknowledge all the things that God has blessed us with and then God in turn takes our offering and uses it for things we can't even imagine he uses it to further his kingdom and to touch hearts But with that being said if this is your first time visiting new hope church or you are visiting from another church we just ask that you not feel obligated to give for those of us that say that this is our home this is where we get fed this is our opportunity to give unto the Lord let's bow our heads Heavenly Father Lord I just pray and I thank you so much for being a God who is faithful to us Lord I just pray that you'd bless this offering that you'd bless the hearts and that you'd use it to further your kingdom in Jesus name Amen Well, tonight we're going to start a brand new, um, not a series, but throughout this entire year, we're going to go through and journey through the entire Bible. And tonight we're going to focus on the first half of Genesis. So to help with that, we have a video that's going to highlight some of the important events that we're going to go over tonight. So let's take a look.
1: The book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, and its storyline divides into two main parts. There's chapters 1 through 11, which tell the story of God and the whole world. And then there's chapters 12 through 50, which zoom in and tell the story of God and just one man, Abraham, and then his family. And these two parts are connected by a hinge story at the beginning of chapter 12. And this design, it gives us a clue to how to understand the message of the book as a whole and how it introduces the story of the whole Bible. So the book begins with God taking the disorder and the darkness described in the second sentence of the Bible and God brings out of it order and beauty and goodness. He makes a world where life can flourish. And God makes these creatures called humans or Adam in Hebrew. He makes them in his image, which has to do with their role and purpose in God's world. So the humans are made to be reflections of God's character out into the world, and they're appointed as God's representatives to rule his world on his behalf, which in context means to harness all of its potential to care for it and make it a place where even more life can flourish. God blesses the humans. It's a key word in this book. And he gives them a garden, like a place from which they begin starting to build this new world. Now, the key is that the humans have a choice about how they're going to go about building this world. And that's represented by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Up till now, God has provided and defined what is good and what is not good. But now God is giving the humans the dignity and the freedom of a choice. Are they going to trust God's definition of good and evil or are they going to seize autonomy and define good and evil for themselves? And the stakes are really high. To rebel against God is to embrace death because you're turning away from the giver of life himself. This is represented by the tree of life. And so in chapter 3, a mysterious figure, a snake, enters into the story. The snake's given no introduction other than it's a creature that God made. And it becomes clear that it's a creature in rebellion against God, and it wants to lead the humans into rebellion and their death. The snake tells a different story about the tree and the choice. It says that seizing the knowledge of good and evil are not going to bring that it's actually the way to life and becoming like God themselves. Now, the irony of this is tragic because we know the humans, they're already like God. They were made to reflect God's image. But instead of trusting God, the human sees autonomy. They take the knowledge of good and evil for themselves and in an instant, the whole story spirals out of control. The first casualty is human relationships. The men and the woman they suddenly realize how vulnerable they are now. They can't even trust each other. And so they make clothes and they hide their bodies from one another. The second casualty is that intimacy between God and the humans is lost. So they go and run and hide from God and then when God finds them, they start this game of blame shifting about who rebelled first. Now right here the story stops and there's a series of short poems where God declares to the snake and then to the humans the tragic consequences of their actions. God first tells the snake that despite its apparent victory, it is destined for defeat to eat dust. God promises that one day a seed or a descendant will come from the woman who's going to deliver a lethal strike to the snake's head, which sounds like great news, but this victory is going to come with a cost because the snake, too, will deliver a lethal strike to the descendant's heel as it's being crushed. It's a very mysterious promise of this wounded victor. But in the flow of the story so far, you see this is an act of God's grace. The humans, they've just rebelled. And what does God do? He promises to rescue them. But this doesn't erase the consequences of the humans' decision. So God informs them that now every aspect of their life together at home and out in the field, it's going to be fraught with grief and pain because of the rebellion, all leading to their death. From here, the story then spirals downward. Chapters 3 through 11, they trace the widening ripple effect of the rebellion and of human relationships fracturing at every level. So there's a story about two brothers, Cain and Abel. Cain's so jealous of his brother that he wants to murder him. And God warns him not to give in to the temptation, but he does anyway. He murders him in the field. So Cain then goes on to build a city where violence and oppression reign. And this is all epitomized in the story of Lamech. He's the first man in the Bible to have more than one wife. He's accumulating them like property. And then he goes on to sing a short song about how he's more violent and vengeful than Cain ever was. After this, we get an odd story about the sons of God, which could refer to evil angelic beings Or it could refer to ancient kings who claimed that they descended from the gods. And like Lamech, they acquire as many wives as they wanted and they produce the Nephilim, these great warriors of old. Whichever view is right, the point is that humans are building kingdoms that fill God's world with violence and even more corruption. In response, we're told that God is broken with grief. Humanity is ruining his good world and they're ruining each other. And so out of a passion to protect the goodness of his world, he washes it clean of humanity's evil with a great flood. But he protects one blameless human, Noah and his family and he commissions him as a new Adam. He repeats the divine blessing and commissions him to go out into the world. And so our hopes are really high but then Noah fails too and also in a garden. He goes and he plants a vineyard and he gets drunk out of his mind. And then one of his sons, Ham, does something shameful to his father in the tent. And so here we have our new Adam naked and ashamed just like the first, and the downward spiral begins again. It all leads to the foundation of the city of Babylon. The people of ancient Mesopotamia, they come together around this new technology they have, the brick and they can make cities and towers bigger and faster than anybody's ever done before and they want to build a new kind of tower that will reach up to the gods and they will make a great name for themselves it's an image of human rebellion and arrogance it's the garden rebellion now writ large and so God humbles their pride and scatters them Now, this is a diverse group of stories, but you can see they're all exploring the same basic point. God keeps giving humans the chance to do the right thing with his world, and humans keep ruining it. These stories are making a claim that we live in a good world that we have turned bad, that we've all chosen to define good and evil for ourselves, and so we all contribute to this world of broken relationships leading to conflict and violence and ultimately death. But there's hope. God promised that one day a descendant would come the wounded victor who will defeat evil at its source and so despite humanity's evil God is determined to bless and rescue his world and so the big question of course is what is God going to do and the next story the hinge offers the answer but for now that's what Genesis 1 through 11 is all about
2: don't you find it interesting how God does things I think just for us to grasp how God does something, we have to take bite sized increments of knowledge from the Bible. And so what we're going to do, as Christian was saying earlier, is we're going to go through the Bible this year on our Wednesday nights. And just to remind you, uh, Wednesday night is more for us as believers that we get to gather together and dive into the word of God. And Sunday mornings is where we get to invite non-believers to hopefully come into a relationship with Jesus Christ so we have uh, two different purposes for Sunday and Wednesday. Sunday, uh, mainly for us to reach out to our family and friends. And then Wednesday night for us. And we can still invite people. So it's, it's just that's the purpose and why we do what we do on Sundays and Wednesdays. So if you come to both of them, you're going to see that there is a difference between our Sunday mornings and our Wednesday nights. But tonight we get to dive into the first half of the book of Genesis. And throughout the year we're going to... Uh, some nights we're going to go through two books because there are 69 books uh, in the Bible and only 52 weeks in a year. So we have to figure out how we're going to do that every Wednesday night. And then there are some Wednesday nights that we're going to be doing other things. But for the most part throughout the entire year we're going to go through the entire Bible. And the reason is because sometimes we only like staying in certain books in the Bible. Like we live in the book of John, Proverbs, or we love the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Or maybe you're like the revelation type of person. You just, you just want to know about end times, so you study about the book of Revelation. But the problem with that is then we never get to see God's whole entire heart throughout the history of mankind, as well as what was happening in our world and why we are where we're at in our world today. And what we're going to learn is that everything throughout the Bible, everything points to Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament points to Jesus. Old Testament is before Jesus arrives. New Testament is when Jesus is born, his death and resurrection, and then uh, thereafter. So, tonight in the book of Genesis, we're just going to be between uh, chapters 1 and 11. So, if you have your notes, you can take that out. If you're using the the church app, that will help you to follow along. Uh, If you want to flip through the Bible, we're only going to be in the book of Genesis, so it's not that difficult. You don't have to flip through the entire Bible. But if you think about God's goodness, and that's what we want to talk about tonight, God's goodness, that God's goodness cannot be based upon what we see in our world. It has to be based upon God's character in who he is and his qualities. Lest we start judging God's character by the evil of man's heart. Otherwise, if we look to things and look to people to figure out how God is, then it discredits who God is and his purity and his holiness because of our willingness or unwillingness to follow him and our willingness to follow our own evil desires, which is what part of the book of Genesis is, is that we follow our evil intents, we follow our evil desires, we follow the whispers of the enemy, and we follow what, what is kind of what relates to us or what we feel like doing. I mean, God brings in... The bigger picture of his promises then we find that god still brings us hope he still gives us a a way to live so that we can always look ahead and see that there is a good future up ahead for all of us and the benefit that we have as believers is even though we make mistakes and go through what we go through god's promises never fade his promises are not dependent on our good behavior nor is it dependent on if we do well or if we like uh if we make two mistakes then we're given more grace than someone who makes 50 mistakes. God's grace is not dependent on our goodness or our behavior. God's grace and his mercy is dependent on who he is and his character. But this first 11 chapters of the Bible, it just records God's goodness and humanity's need and repeated rebellions toward God's promises and God's uh, instructions to us. And we continue to disobey God order and or, uh, over and over. Violence comes in, disorder comes in, chaos comes in, which we're still dealing with today. And from the very beginning, God already could see that, wow, mankind is already choosing to disobey me. And some people would say, then why did God even create us? Why did he even make this happen? What? Because if God, if God is perfect, why isn't everything perfect? But really the argument to that is God gave us what is called love. That we have his love in us. And in order for us to have his love, we needed to choose. Without the freedom to choose, we cannot love. Because love is a choice. It's an action. Now God is love, but he gives us his love. So now we have love. We can choose to love or not. And because of that, if you think about any evil that takes place in the world... It will always start from the heart of man. That's where it comes from. That's where wars come from. That's where murders come from. That's where, when we saw in the video with Cain and Abel. Something was happening in the heart of man. And then man acted upon that rebellion against God. We're even going to learn about the, the founding of Babylon. Which Babylon today is modern day Iraq. And Babylon, the ancient city Babylon, is about 59 miles southwest of Baghdad. So... We can see today, even still today, we still struggle with what took place thousands of years ago when God first created mankind. And so now with everything that is taking place in these first chapters of the book of Genesis, it now sets everything up for God to respond to our human evil with his goodness and his redemptive plan. So the question then is, well, what can we learn from the first half of the book of Genesis? Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And we're going to go through three things that we can take away from these first chapters. The first thing is that we're made in God's image for a reason. We're made in his image for a reason. We're not just created. Like everything else is created by God. But nothing is created in the image of God like how we're created in his image. We're the only beings that are created in the image of God. There is a reason for that. And it's not about how we look, it's not about our outward appearance, it's not about our height, our weight, it's not about if we can stay as young looking as possible, it's not how great of a shape we're in or how healthy we are, although these things are great, that's not what God was looking out for. That's not what it means to be made in the image of God. It's not exactly what he was talking about. Which is pretty interesting because that's exactly where the enemy attacks us. He attacks us with our outward appearance. With our actual look and how we look in our world today and, and how, how we think people view us, that's what the enemy is going to do. He's going to attack us there. Why does he do that? Because he wants to attack what we think is the image of God to make us think that that's what it means to be created in the image of God. In other words, he attacks us with our image so that he can shame us so that we feel less valued and then blame god because god you made me this way why am i like this you made me this way and just like adam and eve it's so interesting that we we switch quickly to blame it's just it's it's in our nature now that we're going to start blaming people but god created us in his image and, and part of his image is is relationship that's that's who god is god is a relationship that's why we don't like it when when relationships go bad we don't like it when treat, people treat us bad we don't like it when we have a really good relationship and then it starts to turn sour we don't like that why because we love relationships god created us in his image we have relationship. God created us in his image so that we could be a reflection of his goodness in the world, be a reflection of his kindness and love in the world, so that we would be representatives of him. And in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God said, Let us make man, make mankind in our image, after our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. So, fishermen and hunters, That's your scripture right there. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over all the creatures that move on the earth. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. It's interesting that the Bible, written thousands of years ago, depicts male and female that long ago which today is one of the biggest battles when it comes to sexual identity. But God created us, male and female. It is crystal clear. God wanted us to experience relationship. That's why fellowship is so important, because of relationship. He wanted us to get to know people. He wanted us to build relationship with others, because that's how we function best. Now, it's sad to say that relationships go bad. People say negative things about us or say things to us or they do bad things to us and relationships go bad but it's not it's not god who made that relationship go bad it's the evilness in our hearts that go bad when Heidi and I first started to uh, attend church and we just came to know Jesus Christ and Heidi is my wife we we wanted to establish good relationships and we wanted to build a foundation for our relationship with god and we thought what better way than to Learn more about who God is, and, and how can we how can we connect with other people, and so we started attending church on Sunday mornings, and then we heard about what was called midweek service, and we thought, you know what, let's try midweek service, let's see what that's all about. So we went to midweek service, and at that time, we were we were at the boys uh, boys and girls club, it was just boys club back then, and uh, and then we were at a a empty or a facility that we were using across from, I think it was called Food Fair. If you're old like me, then you would remember what the name is. I think it was called Food Fair. Right now, Ohana Church is there Pastor Zeke Tomaselli. So that gray building that's there right now, we used to be there for our Wednesday nights. And when we used to go there on Wednesday night, it was very difficult because we didn't really know anyone. We knew some people, but we didn't really know that many people. And, but we kept going. We kept attending, and, and one thing that we tried to do was we tried to grasp what God was doing in us rather than attend church. We were trying to get to a place where we were building our relationship with God and with one another as new believers, and what was good about that is as we kept doing that, we saw people every week. Now, it wasn't as big as we are today, so it was very easy to get to know people, but you're you got to remember that whenever we fellowship together, which is what God called us to do and who he called us to be in in what we call church, that church is never too big when you're in a smaller group. Even in a setting this size, it may feel like, boy, I, I really don't know anybody. Well, make it a habit. Try your very best to find a new person that you do not know and just introduce yourself. Because... That's who we are as the church. And it almost seems uh, difficult to do to introduce yourself to someone because you don't, like, we're all skeptical of people. We're all skeptical. Like, if you ask somebody, like, if you just went up to someone and said, hey, how are you doing, my name is Sheldon, and they don't know anything about you, like, your guard goes up. We judge them instantly. Okay, this, this guy is kind of sketchy. Okay, this lady kind of flirty. Like, that's what we do. We, we judge people or well, what, what do they want? What do they want from me? What do they want? And... We just live in a sensitive, private generation today. That's the world we live in, privacy. We don't want anybody to know. Like back in the day, it was so easy to say, hey, where do you live? I'm come visit your house. Okay, I live down the street. Turn here, go there. Yeah, I'll be outside. Now it's like, where do you live? Where, what do you mean, where do I live? What are you going to do? You can call my house. Yeah, and we give them false address. <laughs> yeah, come my house. I live down Kino Ole. Just go, pink house. Just keep knocking. If nobody come, keep knocking. But we, we we're skeptical because of relationships going bad and bad things happening in the world. For many of us, we grew up in a world where you could go anywhere and you were safe. We're kids, seven years old, riding our bike wherever. And then we came home before the streetlights came on. So that's just, that's just the world that we lived in back then. But today, I don't, I don't know if we let our, our children just, we don't know where they are. In fact, we buy them cell phones and we have GPS on them just to make sure we know where they are or they can call us. And because of that, we're skeptical about relationships even in a setting like this. And then once we meet someone, we look them up, we check them out, okay, let's see this person. They're cool, Ah, Facebook account, not that bad. Instagram, ooh, this guy is weird. Nope, no friends. So we, we toss them out. That's the good side, though. If there aren't any, like, creepers, then you can actually, you know, kind of check. But I think when we gather together in a church setting like this, we can, we can at least do that with one another. Now, I'm going to say this just so that we can at least start somewhere. Men, introduce yourself to men. Women, introduce yourself to women. Because that way, it's not some dude coming up to any lady and it's like, hey, how's it, honey? <laughs> actually, if a guy came up to you like that, he'd be like, I'm Sorry. Uh, but we want to we wanna start somewhere and just to protect against, you know, that kind of stuff and you know what I mean. Uh, so I think when it comes to the relationship side of it, it takes effort. It takes, it takes risk. It takes time for us to develop that. But even as a church, you know, in a setting like this, how often do we meet new people? It's very rare that we do that. We're comfortable with the people that we know. We're comfortable with just receiving from the word of God. We're comfortable with that. But God created us in his image for a reason. And it's to represent him, to be a reflection of his character and to build relationship with one another. There's strength when the body of Christ comes together and gets to know one another. And he made us in his image so that we could understand who he is first, which is he's a relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he created us in his image so that we could experience relationship, not just with one another, but also with him Two in Genesis chapter two verse twenty five, it tells us that the man and his wife, which her name is Eve, because she was the mother of uh, um, mother of uh, humans, <laughs> humans, human beings. the The man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. And when I first read this in the Bible, I thought, why do they need to put that? Why, why did they have to tell us that they were not ashamed? But like Cain and Abel their children, when, when they had a, a, a hardened heart or when Cain had a hardened art, heart toward Abel, when he started to think about and consider killing his own brother, he could have corrected it there. But there's something in the heart that says, I need to, I need to do this This act to satisfy what I'm feeling on the inside. Which for Cain, it was anger and jealousy. And he was wondering, why did God accept his offering but not my offering? And there's a whole study behind that. But now because of Cain and Abel, if you think about it, way back then, although difficult in relationship, we still have those difficulties today. At that time, Adam and Eve, they felt no shame because there was no sin. They were uncovered. They had had no thoughts of, I did something wrong. They, they They were not ashamed of anything. But then, as mankind went on, and rebellion came in, and Adam and Eve sinned, then shame came on their lives. And once shame came in, they wanted to hide, which is what they did when they heard God. They hid from God. But God was still good. Even though they had to reap the consequences and deal with the consequences of their sin, God is still good in it. So here's the second thing that we can learn, to embrace God's goodness. And even though we have our own pride, even though like Cain and Abel, Cain had that pride of, I'm, gonna, I'm going to kill my brother, get rid of him so that I can be more noticed. Because of that, because of that pride, it blocks us from God's goodness. But in order for us to embrace God's goodness, we have to look to his goodness, not if we deserve it. Because of our pride, we don't deserve anything. It's, wait, God, you're good. So I, wanna, I want to embrace your goodness. Have you ever started to pray and you begin with either complaining or telling God all the things that you have done wrong? Or the first thing we do when we come to God is, okay, God, I'm so sorry I did this, but can you forgive me? And, and I, I, if you think of what Jesus was teaching his disciples... He was teaching them to pray, and he said, start in this way, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What Jesus was saying is, don't start with you and your insecurities and your faults and the things that you may have done that were wrong or your own sin. Start with the goodness of God. Hallowed be thy name, that you're good, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like Start there. Why? Because God is good, and we need to embrace his goodness Do we deserve his goodness? No. So don't start with if we deserve it. Start with God is good. Start with he is already good. He is good. So we don't earn that. He is already good. We can embrace his goodness. Sometimes we embrace death and evil more than we do embracing God's goodness. And because of his goodness, now it gives us hope. It gives us the assurance that God will always be there for us no matter how difficult life is. And that His goodness is going to be there with us for the life that He has for us. You know, when God made the clothes, He He's the one that made the clothes for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were both naked because of their guilt and shame, and God made clothes for them out of animal skin. So He made clothes for them, and He, he covered them. Now, yes, they still needed to live with the sin and the or the, live with the sin and the evil and the consequences of their evil and sinful hearts they still needed to live with the consequences which we're now reaping the consequences too because of that one act we now still have that sin in our nature so we in our sinful nature rebel against god that's why we need redemption which is what god was putting into place even back then in fact genesis chapter 3 verse 15 god says i will put enmity between you and the woman and he's speaking to the serpent the devil and between your offspring and hers He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And what God was referring to is that Jesus is going to crush you. You're going to strike his heel. In other words, yeah, he's going to be put to death. because The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The death of Jesus Christ was necessary for our sin. He didn't sin. We did. But he died for us. So when we think about God's goodness, God's goodness is through Jesus Christ. That's how God shows his goodness to us. I, I can only imagine what our world would look like, what our life would look like, our, our relationships would look like if we all embraced God's goodness and we lived out of his goodness, out of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Just think about, I mean, this is how good God is. The moment Adam and Eve sinned and God confronted them, Yes, he gave them some instruction. This is what's going to happen. Here are the consequences of your sin. Now you're going to toil and you're going to sweat, making a living off of the land, which is what happens today. We work to make a living. And we forget sometimes that we're, we're, we're so busy making a living that we never make the life that God wanted us to have. But he said that's, the, that's going to be your consequence. You're going to have to toil and sweat just to live and survive now. But because of God's goodness, he covers them. He gives them a way for them to deal with their shame. But that was just temporary. Because that was just clothing. Like God, God fashioned clothes together. You know the fashion industry is a, is a $100 billion industry? The fashion industry. God was first. He put clothes together. It was his idea. But it was only temporary. Clothes were created because of God's great wisdom showing Adam and Eve that they could not prosper and thrive in their relationship if they still had shame and guilt. Because we can't do that. If we continuously have shame and guilt and we don't deal with it, we cannot thrive. We cannot grow in our relationships with one another. So I want to give this to you, husbands and wives in our marriages, don't shame one another. Build each other up. Encourage each other. You don't need to call each other names. You don't have to point out the obvious on the negative. Just build each other up. And I know sometimes we do it in a playful way, but just be careful that we're not shaming one another and pushing guilt on one another. That was never God's intent. That's the enemy's intent, but that's not God's intent. And even for us who, you may be single, you may, maybe you're no longer married. Whatever the case may be, just let's not shame one another. That's not God, a part of God's redemptive plan. What we can do is be like God. Let's let's cover one another. Let's be there for each other and, and have each other's back. And in fact, at, at our Pause conference, we'll be talking about that uh, for married couples. That, that our Pause Marriage Conference happening in February, February 7th and 8th, uh, we're gonna be talking about how in our marriages we can strengthen one another we can build each other up so if you're interested you can you can go to the information center Uh, but the third thing that we want to learn from these chapters is that god will always give us another chance he always gives us another chance i'm so thankful that god gives us chance after chance after chance like every day that comes and every morning that comes he says i'm i'm renewing every single day for you because great is thy faithfulness That my mercies are going to be new every single morning. He gives us chance after chance after chance. Now, many of us understand that the problem is we don't do that. We don't give each other chance after chance after chance. I said this before, but there was one time I apologized to Heidi for something that I said. We were grumbling and fighting, and I don't even know what over, and then I don't know how long we weren't talking, but Finally, I came to her, and I, I, I mustered up enough energy and, and spiritual holiness to come to her and, and, and apologize. And I said, Heidi, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry that I said those things. I'm so sorry that I treated you that way. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. And Heidi, in all her holiness and wonder and splendor, she said, I'm tired of your sorries. <laughs> I, was, I was like, What? That's not biblical. Let's check the Bible if that's a scripture. And then we talked a little bit more, but basically what she was saying is, you keep saying you're sorry for the same thing. Are you really sorry? And it was a learning point in our marriage. I mean, that was last week, but we're doing better this week, so we're, we're good. We're good. But I realized that, yeah, we can, we can give each other chance after chance after chance, which is by the grace of God that we can do that. But... If I'm being given chance after chance after chance after chance, I think I should use God's grace, His power. That's what grace means His grace, His power to change. Why not take advantage of God's grace? He's given us His power. His power of grace is not so that we keep doing the things that we've been doing that are sinful or inconsistent with godliness. It's so that we have the power to change. That's what grace is for. It's so that we're given that power to change. You know, in the flood, the flood, when, when uh, Noah and uh, his entire family was with him and, and, and the animals were with him on the ark and God flooded the earth, God wiped out the rest of mankind. And God's promise was that we're going we're gonna to have a new beginning. It's a demonstration of God's, new beginning with human beings he said i'm going to flood the earth but i'm going to give you a new beginning and god gave us a a, the greatest logo as a reminder of his promises he said i'm going to start afresh and in genesis chapter 9 verses 8 through 17 god told noah and his sons i hereby confirm my covenant with you it almost sounds like a like a like a constitution of the united states of america i hereby confirm my covenant with you and it sounds so regal and so grand which it is because god made this covenant with us i hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you the birds the livestock and all the wild animals every living creature on earth yes i am confirming my covenant with you Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Maybe Bayfront, but not the whole earth. He said, not the whole earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you, with all living creatures for all generations to come, which is us included. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the flood waters destroy all life. And when I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. God created the rainbow. He's the one that came up with its design. And he's the one who came up with the idea of that's going to be a reminder. Kind of like the sign up in the sky that when it starts raining. And here in Hilo, we, we know rainbows. We know weather too or rain because well, we've been getting a lot of rain in the past couple of weeks so he shows us the rainbow. That's, that's his idea, which is pretty interesting because organizations use the rainbow, schools use the rainbow, clubs use the rainbow, uh, uh, coloring books have rainbows in it. But many people don't even understand what the rainbow represents. It's almost like we got to redeem the rainbow for everybody to understand that that's the promise of God that, we're never, that it's never gonna, he's never going to flood the earth again. The only flood that ever came that God brought to this earth that didn't destroy mankind but built us up, is his flood of his love. That he flooded us with the love of Christ. He flooded us with the love of his grace and his mercy. He will never again flood the earth to kill all mankind. In fact, he flooded the earth with his love, grace, mercy, and kindness to give life to everyone on this earth. That's his goodness, his mercy, his grace. If you think about those two words, mercy and grace, mercy is the act of withholding what we deserve. That's God's mercy. He withholds what we deserve, like punishment. He withholds the punishment on us that we deserve. He took it out on his one and only son, but he withheld punishment that we deserved. And grace is the act of giving undeserved favor that God gives us his grace, and because of his grace, because of his mercy, we will always have access to him because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. I'm, I'm so thankful for his grace and his mercy. The creation that God created, the earth, the heavens, the skies, the planets, and the solar system, and how everything functions. Here in Hawaii, we love the beach, the ocean, and There's so much power in everything. But God created that. He shows us his power in all of creation. The flood shows us God's power. The languages that God changed at the Tower of Babel when they were building these towers uh, to get to the skies so that they could build something for themselves. It shows God's power that he could change their languages. And then comes Jesus Christ that shows God's goodness, his grace, and his mercy. But even still, mankind, that's why we need Jesus every single day. We need to be before him every single day. And because of mankind, we, we still have insecurities. We still do things that are not pleasing to God. In fact, when Noah and his family were now re, uh, uh, once again repopulating the earth and and as we learned in that quick video that Noah had a vineyard, he had some grapes, <laughs> he made his own wine, and then started to test his own wine. <laughs> Not too sweet. And he, he kind of was going tipsy a little bit. And he got, uh, he got knocked out. And so he's in his tent and he's naked. And here comes Ham, one of his sons. And then Ham goes to his brothers and says, hey, dad's naked in the tent, come look. And it's kind of teasing. But his other two brothers, Shem and Japheth, they entered the tent backwards with a covering to cover their father's nakedness. In Genesis 9:23 it records that Shem and Japheth took the garment and placed it on their shoulders. Then they walked in backwards and covered up their father's nakedness. Their faces were turned the other way so they did not see their father's nakedness. Here's what we can take from this and this is so important for us as believers. Let's stop uncovering people's flaws. Their faults. Now I'm not saying sweep things under the rug. But sometimes we uncover people's nakedness, their shame and their guilt. Let's be believers who cover one another with God's love, his grace, and his forgiveness. That instead of shaming people, we cover them. That we we help them find healing in Jesus' name. Because it's not going to come from us. But we as believers, we can do that for one another. Instead of shaming one another, we can bring redemption and we can bring them closer to Jesus Christ. Well, after all of this takes place and now the earth is being repopulated again, still the heart of man is still evil. Mankind begins to innovate. They, they invent what is called bricks. They invent bricks. So now they're building buildings and they're making monuments and huge cities. But then again, the pride of man once again says, hey, let's do something for ourselves apart from God. And in Genesis chapter 11, verses four through nine, they, then they said, Come, let us build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered over all the earth, or scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. And they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't. By the way, it doesn't mean that God causes confusion. God brought in that so that they would scatter. Remember, in the beginning, God says, be fruitful and multiply. He wanted them to scatter around the earth. But they said, we're not going to listen to him. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to stay in one place. Let's build our own city and let's build it up to the sky so that people can see us, that we're famous. God says, no, that's not good. So he didn't bring them confusion. He confused their language. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel because that is where the lord confused uh, confused the people with different languages in this way he scattered them all over the world god is a creator he loves creating so when we try to just say to god no this is this is all we're going to be and this is this is, we're going to control our own destiny god is saying that's not how i created you you're made in my image i want you to i want you to Become everything that I made you to be. You're cutting yourself short. And once you start rebelling against me, the end result is death. There's, there's nothing good for you when you rebel against me. So in God's goodness, he caused them to scatter. Which is pretty interesting because even still today, let's watch this, that even still today, mankind still continues to build. And as these buildings are being built, it's like we got to top one another one over the other, over the other, starting in the uh, late 1800s. That's the Singer Building. That's in New York City, 600, a little over 600 feet. MetLife Tower, 700 feet. Woolworth Building, almost 800 feet. Bank of Manhattan in New York City, almost 1,000 feet. So it keeps getting higher and higher. Chrysler Building, tops over 1,000 feet in New York City. Empire State Building, which was the, 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 the major feat, over 1,200 feet in New York. And then came the World Trade Center, Over 1,300 feet. Sears Tower goes up in Chicago in 1973 at over 1,400 feet. And then Petronas Towers, over 1,400 feet. So they're almost the same. Taipei says, let's go 1,600 feet. And then Burj Khalifa was like, you know what, let's just go like 2,700 feet. And then Jeddah Tower. It's like, you know what, let's just go, what was that? Was that 3,000 already? And then Dubai, which is now 4,413 feet. Look at how mankind still, even till this day, still tries to build the biggest monument so they can be the most famous. Our heart is still the same. Like we've never changed throughout history. I shouldn't say we because we didn't build that, but the principle is there. We still have that inside of us. We want to have the most likes, the most followers. We want to be the most famous. We want to be noticed. We want accolades. We want that. But God is saying, is is not my goodness and my grace enough? Is my grace sufficient for you? Because in my goodness, that's where you're going to find life. In my grace and my mercy, that's where you're going to find wholeness and healing. No building will ever do that for you. No matter how high we build our buildings, no matter how great of a feat we we, we, we accomplish, it will never change what's on the inside. And that's an empty soul. If we're chasing after things thinking that our soul is going to be satisfied, we're chasing the wrong things. We should be chasing the goodness of God. It's in His grace and His goodness that we'll find that wholeness. Here's God's goodness in 1 John chapter 3 verse 8. I'll close with this scripture and Grayson can come through the keyboard. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. I wanted to close with that because I wanted to remind us that God didn't come to destroy you or mankind. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And whenever you feel like, boy, life is so difficult, or sometimes you may even feel like, well, is, is, God, like, is God punishing me for something? No, no, no. God did that on Jesus Christ. But, he, but God came to bring his life. He came to destroy the works of the devil, not destroy us. Mankind, we destroy ourselves. Our, our own heart and wickedness. That's why I'm so thankful for God's goodness because it's in his goodness, in his grace, in his mercy that as he gives us his one and only son that we're able to not build big buildings, but we're able to build a big life for him in our character and in our integrity in our relationship with him. If anything, let that be the structure that we're building on, that no other foundation can be laid than the than the foundation that has already been laid, which is Christ Jesus our Lord. If that's our foundation, He can build up our life, and He can do it in a in a way that is pleasing to Him. We're gonna bow our heads for a moment. We're gonna close in prayer together, and maybe right now that's 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 our prayer is that God would do something in us that that we can help with with whatever it is. Maybe it's us building our relationship with Him, building our relationship with other people, helping us to help other people. Maybe God gave us responsibility and certain responsibilities so that we can be there for other people. Maybe God gave us His goodness so that we can spread that goodness to other people. Maybe that goodness that God gives to us because it's eternal helps us to remember that even though we may fail, even though we may make mistakes, That his goodness is still available. His his goodness is not based on our behavior. His goodness is based on his character. So Lord God, tonight we thank you for your goodness. We receive that. We receive your word that changes us. We thank you that we get to learn together. It's your word that brings life. Thank you for breathing your spirit into us tonight. We're so grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said together. Amen. Amen. Can we thank our Lord for being a good God? Next week we're going to finish up uh, chapters 12 through 50. So if you want to, thank you, Matthew. If you want to go ahead a little bit and maybe skim through, you can do that. But I think these these are going to be great things to learn from. And and if you've never gone through the Bible, it's going to be a great time for us together this year.